Well, if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, I'm going to ask you to go to 1 Timothy chapter 3 with me this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 3. Again, you'll either turn in your Bible or you'll turn it on, whichever is your mode of technology and the way you do that. But uh, I want to take you, ask you to go to 1 Timothy chapter 3 with me this morning. If you are a visitor, um, I've been going through 1 Timothy with our church. I'm, I keep saying I'm new to the church. At some point, I guess I got to say I'm not new to the church anymore. Uh, Deb and I got to move back to Newfoundland in the uh, middle part of January, come back to our native province, and we've been here as a part of this family at Calvary Baptist now for almost a year. But we decided that we would start in 1 Timothy because we wanted to learn if we are the church How do God's people live life? And I don't know if you've ever done this before where you've done something in your life, you've made a decision, you've bought something, you decided to try a new workout program or you decided to get a a new house or you did something and then you got into it and then you had a little bit of buyer's remorse. You're like, oh, what have I gotten myself into? All right. Sometimes in 1 Timothy, I have felt like that. All right. I'm not going to lie to you. It seems like chapter 2 and 3 are just controversy after controversy after controversy and I wish I could tell you now I'm through the easy or the hard part and it gets easy but we're going to have a couple of weeks where it gets easy and then she's going to get controversial again and uh, you pray for me as we stay into that but this week we're going to finish up looking at deacons and we've said that deacons are God's leading servants now I'm very excited to finish this up Next week, we're going to celebrate the gospel as we finish up 1 Timothy chapter 3. Then Brother Steve Dot is going to preach on the 22nd. And then the last uh, week of November, the first three weeks of December, we're going to get into Advent and Christmas. And we're going to look at some things. I'd cover your prayers. I'm going to preach other one of two things for Advent. We're either going to look at what I call the motley men of Christmas, all right? Or we're going to look at the wonderful women of Christmas, one or the other. So we're going to uh, look at those things as we head into the Christmas season. So I covet your prayers on that. If you have a Bible, let's go to 1 Timothy 3. We're going to be looking at verses 8 to 13. After two weeks of setup and foundation, today we're actually going to walk through these verses together. But I read this week that some years ago, a pastoral assistant was conducting training for deacons at a very urban church in the United States. As part of the preparation, he telephoned the director of one of the most prestigious Philadelphia restaurant schools and asked this question. What qualities are you looking for in a waiter? The director explained that above all else, a good waiter is someone who notices what people need and gives it to them even before they ask. That's what a really good waiter does. Now, you might think it's strange that I'm starting this by comparing deacons to restaurant personnel, but the actual connection is biblical. Because if you and I believe that Acts chapter 6 shows the very first type of deacons in the Bible, then the first deacons in Jerusalem were actually appointed to serve meals. They were servants. They were waiters. But as you mull that over, I want to get personal on a couple of different descending levels with you. I want to get your minds working a little bit. So here I've got a couple of questions for you. Who's your hero of the faith? Who is that person when you think about Christianity, when you think about God, when you think about Jesus, when you think about what it means to be, who is the first place that your mind goes to see? What is the face you see? Or who is your hero of the faith today? 
Who is your hero of the faith? Who do you look at as your spiritual example? Who do you look up to? Who is the greatest example of a servant in your life right now? Someone who just gives of themselves and seems to love doing it. Now, I know that my wife loves it when I do this, which is I talk about her, and I do so without her permission. And I'm watching all of your eyes. This is why she loves it so much, because now everybody is looking that way. All right? Love you, honey. <laughs> all right? But you know what? For me, if you were to ask me, who's your greatest example of a servant? I would immediately say, for me, it's Debbie. I, I love watching Debbie just how she is as a wife and a mom in our home. She just serves us. She does so many things. And I'm going to tell you, many of them, it's not like she gets up in the morning and goes, oh, I can't wait to do dishes today. All right? But she, she loves us as a family. She serves us as a family. She does so many things for me and for our children. And she does it and does it every day and seems to love not necessarily maybe the task, but the idea of how it enhances our family. And I love watching her do it. I really do. She's one of my great earthly heroes. But now let me bring it inside the four walls of this church, Calvary Baptist. If you had to choose right now today, if I gave you all a ballot and said, choose or write down those who are acting like deacons in this church right here, right now, who comes to mind and why? Who are the leading servants in our church? And would your name on that piece of paper be according to the Bible or just because that's the person you like, or that's because you think that's the way it should be. Now, let me get even more intimate. Who's your closest friend and why? Do you have friends? Who's your confidant? Who's that one that's discipling you in your faith? That when it all goes bad when you're embarrassed or you're struggling, when you're doubting or you're angry, you know you've screwed up or failed, or when you're really having a crisis, you know you can pick up the phone and call that person and they're going to love you and they're going to pray with you and they're going to pray for you and they love you so much not to just listen and act as if everything's okay, but they love you enough to get into your life and get messy with you. You see, we're concluding today with our understanding of what we call the second office in the church that God has given His church. That's for us given us to function according to his plan and for his glory. And yes, you're going to get sick of me doing this because almost every week the whole theme of 1 Timothy is actually found in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. The whole letter hinges on this, all of it. Everything that comes in front of it, everything that comes behind it, all hinges on this where Paul says to Timothy, he says, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay... You, Timothy, and you, the church at Ephesus, may know how you ought to behave yourself in the household of God. And why is that important? Because the household of God is the church of the living God. And why is that important? Because the church of the living God should be the pillar and the buttress. It's really the foundation of truth. If you are hurting, if you are searching, if you are uh, doubting, if you whatever it is that you are, you should be able to come to the church and find truth. And not only just truth as in clinical hard truth, but truth that has love attached to it, truth with compassion, truth with patience, truth that comes alongside you and says, let's walk this together. I can't tell you how often I am alone here in this building 
and I pray in my office or, and I'll let you know that I, I walk around this room three or four times in a week and I'll sit in different chairs and I just pray. I pray what God will do in this building and what he'll do in this room and what he does for the people that will sit in the chairs. And since some of you are fairly, fairly consistent in where you sit, yes, sometimes I sit in your chair and pray for you. But I pray all over this room and try and ask God to be with those who are going to be here on a Sunday. But last week I started, and I want to say again, if we're going to learn what it means to be servants, uh, waiters, waitresses, whatever it is terminology, I have to start with this question. So here it is, church. Has Jesus so transformed you that you will now give your life to serve him and others as he gave up everything to serve you? Has Jesus so transformed you that you will now give your life to serve him and others as he gave up everything to serve you? Have you met Jesus to that level? Kevin DeYoung puts, put it this way on, on Outlook on Jesus and the church like this this past week. He said, ask yourself, will you serve God with whatever he's given you and wherever he sends you? Will you serve God with whatever he's given you and wherever he sends you? You see, last week we answered two very important questions about deacons, the leading servants of the church. We answered the question, what is a deacon? So if you're new, let me recap. What is a deacon? Simply a deacon is a Christian who follows Christ, the ultimate servant. So that's what someone, because the very word means to serve, it means serving, it means a people helper, it means exactly that, it's a waiter, a waitress, all these things. So what is a deacon? A deacon is a Christian who follows Christ, the ultimate servant. Secondly, a deacon is a Christian who leads the church in service, leads by example. And then last week we learned, out, we learned about what a deacon does. So what does a deacon do? Number one, they meet needs according to the word of God. So in other words, it's not they meet needs according to their personal preferences, who they like, or who we think is more important. No, no, we meet needs according to the Word of God. So it doesn't matter how old or young you are. It doesn't matter what your last name is. It doesn't matter how big or small your bank account is. It doesn't matter how big or small your house is or what car you showed up in or if you showed up in a car at all. We meet needs according to the Word of God. If you have a need, we meet them. Secondly, deacons support the ministry of the Word of God. So in other words, deacons say, how can I make sure that the pastor is able to spend time in prayer and study of God's word and make sure that everything moves forward according to the word of God? And if I will say, if you study scripture, if you study church history, if you look out and try and find what you think is the pattern of a good church, show me a church where people are committed to meeting each other's needs according to the word of God and supporting the ministry of the word of God, and the third one automatically happens which is deacons unify the church around the Word of God. See, deacons are out there listening, seeing, sensing, and they know when people are hurting or people are frustrated or maybe there's been a misunderstanding and they don't wait till it blows up and runs off when you've got a full five-alarm fire. No, they get right in there and they stop it. They love and they care and they unify the church around the Word of God. So today, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 to 13, we're going to focus this morning on who should be a deacon. So let me read the passage for us again. 1 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 8, notice what Paul, under the inspiration of God, 
Paul penned them, but these are God's words. And he writes and says to Timothy, deacons, verse 8, likewise. If you write in your Bible, highlight, circle, or underline the word likewise. Deacons, likewise. So he, he must be connecting it back to elders in some way. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They, that's the deacons, must, not should, must. Notice how many times that word must shows up. Must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Verse 10 seems to change it a little bit. It says, and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Then verse 11, their wives likewise. Again, if you write in your Bible, notice the word likewise again. Now notice again, it's not a suggestion. It's not their wives likewise should be or maybe must be dignified. Not slanderers. In today's vernacular, they're not gossips. They're not busybodies. But sober-minded, faithful in all things. Verse 12, let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. And here's why. Here's the sum total of why. Verse 13, for those who serve well as deacons, as servants, as waiters, gain a good standing for themselves. And notice this, also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Not in themselves, but in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Now, May God add his blessing to the reading of his word, but I want to stop us all for a second. I want you to, let's engage the mind. Did you listen to these qualities? Did you really pay attention to what you just heard? You see, we're talking about Christians who follow Christ closely here, right? These are qualities, if you really think about it, these are qualities that rub off on those who would walk with Jesus. This is what happens to someone who spends time looking at Jesus, listening to Jesus, learning from Jesus, living like Jesus. This is what happens to the one who works for and worships Christ. So listen, in some total of the sermon in the sentence, item number one in reaching this calling of ministry is following Christ. Are you a Christ follower? And you do it, but notice it's not just, well, I follow Jesus. Okay, well, how? Humbly patiently and persistently and I have to tell you by personal personal I love Jesus and I love to follow Jesus what I find hard is to follow Jesus humbly patiently and persistently there's an example in the gospel of, of John's and James they were w w following Jesus and they're coming down and some other people were quote-unquote following Jesus and they weren't doing it exactly the way they thought it should be done and so they go to Jesus and they're like, look at those fellows. Jesus, can we pray down thunder down on top of them? And that's how they got the nickname, Sons of Thunder. You see, sometimes I want to be right at the top of my lungs. Sometimes I want to follow Jesus and I just want to make everybody else follow Jesus. And that doesn't make Jesus that attractive then, does it? Then it kind of runs hollow, isn't it? But imagine following Christ but doing it with humility and doing it patiently and doing it persistently now i'm going to admit to you all right this is a per, another one of those controversial passages all right so i'm going to deal with the elephant in the room and hopefully move on all right so is paul saying that only men can be deacons is that what he's saying is this passage saying that it's husband and wife teams that should be deacons 
Does he seem to sandwich a new order of female deacons alongside the male ones? And likely every one of you here in this room has one of those opinions. But there's also some of you here that maybe haven't been raised around church. You haven't been going to church very often or you're coming to a new church and you're looking at me going, dude, what are you talking about? Does this even matter? But let me give you the play out, okay? Because if you think in terms of men only, then we have to be honest. You can't run from this. Are you simply feeding a male-dominated atmosphere in the church that our culture already says exists? Is that true? If you say it's husband and wife teams, what do you do with single women and widows or even single guys? And if you say, well, there's a separate order of female deacons, well, what about the flow of the passage that I just read? And why does all of chapter 3 seem to hinge on the created order and the idea of function versus value and all of that kind of stuff? Well, now that maybe you're thoroughly confused, let's step back and make a few clear statements, okay? Remember what we've learned already. Here's the indisputable evident and fact. We are all called to be servants of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Now, the words themselves of deacon, which means service and servant and to serve, were used to describe Christ and Paul and Timothy and all kinds of men and women in the Bible. And the truth is, many good folks... Brothers and sisters in Christ have disagreed about this passage. The history of Calvary has been that men are the official deacons. And I would for sure add that when you look at this passage, I think at least you would say that their wives are to be a part of this as well. Now, whether or not you hold the female deacons or deaconesses or whatever will always likely depend on how you view authority and how you give the title or what has been your experience in church. That's just reality. But I want to focus more today that we need to be crystal clear that the Bible teaches consistently one thing, that only God-called men are to be the elders, the pastors of the church. Now, the office of the deacon has been given a little bit more grace among churches throughout church history. But let us never doubt today, and I wrote this down, that we are all created equal in the eyes of God. And we have learned that from 1 Timothy chapter 2. Remember the things that we share as men and women. We are all created in God's image in Genesis 1.27. We are all guilty of sin, Romans 3.23, and uh, Jeff alluded to it again in Romans chapter 6. We are all called to respond to the gospel in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. We are all joint heirs with Christ, Romans 6.8, sorry, Romans 8.16-17. All of us, men and women, will all reign with Christ, Revelation chapter 22, verses 3 and 5. We are all called to make disciples. That's Matthew 28, 18 to 20. We are all baptized in the Spirit. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse, 20, verse 13. We are all, men and women, a part of the body of Christ. Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 12, 27 to 31. And we are all called to exhort and encourage and admonish and teach one another. That is not an option. Every one of us is called to do that in Colossians chapter 3, 16 and 17. And we are all saved into Christ as one church. That's Galatians chapter 3, verses 23 to 29. Now, I need to be honest with you as a church. Your Bible is full of beautiful displays of both men and women who were strong, amazingly graceful, steady, intelligent. And yet, sometimes there are beautiful displays of loving servant women of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. 
in the New Testament, Paul mentions at least 17 women by name. And the matter is not whether God can, does, or use his daughters both to serve and even lead in some way in his church. That's not the question. The question is how the Bible describes their role in the context of the local church and its structure. Now, once again, you got to be sure that we all understand this. Everybody in this room, if you're a Christian, we've all been called to love God and serve God. Everybody in this room, we've all been called to love people and serve people. And we start with each other. Paul wrote to the Galatians in chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, and he said this, Let us not grow weary in doing good. You know what? I, I, I don't know about you, but in 2015, when our country seems to be less and less about God, when you stick out a little bit more if you want to be a follower of Christ, do you sometimes feel like you get a little weary in doing good? It's just, it can get tiresome, can't it? But notice what he says. Don't go weary in doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not get, give up. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. He says, because of that then, as we have opportunity, let us go do good to everyone. Now notice, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Is, is that you? Is that you? Do you see your church as a place to be a servant? Or do you see church as a club where you get to strive to get your own way? Do you think of Jesus and others? Or do you think of yourself and fit Jesus and others around that? Do you seek to be like Jesus according to his word? with grace and patience and mercy and humility and trust? Or are you someone that sometimes comes and you want to manipulate God and you want to manipulate the Bible and people to be the way you want them to be so that you get your own way and people act the way you want them to act? You see, Francis Chan wrote this week, I love this quote from Francis Chan. He said, the world says, love yourself. Grab all you can and follow your heart. That's, that's the mantra of the world. All right, look out for yourself. Jesus says, deny yourself, grab your cross, and follow me. That's countercultural. You see, I want each and every one of you to know this morning that in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 to 13, you need to get this. If you walk away with nothing, get this. With God, character is everything. With God, character is everything. Someone has said this, reputation is what men say about you. Character is what God says about you. And yet our world is so messed up that so many of us, we're worried about the reputations of ourselves and men and so not so much about the character of ourselves and others. And that's why Entertainment Tonight and all these gossip columns and all these gossip magazines are so popular because we love to know all about what people are doing and what everybody thinks of them and why we have all this pontification about everybody. But your reputation is only what people say. Your character is what God declares over you. So what does God say about you? And I want you to think about how your Bible describes people. In the Bible, in the Old Testament, God describes Abraham as the friend of God. Would, would you be described that way? Would you be considered a friend of God? David was called a man after God's own heart. Job, who was, the, everybody knows, do you have the patience of Job or do you have the friends of Job? And all? But when you start the book of Job, here's how God describes him. He was a man like no other who feared God and turned away from evil. 
But imagine having this said about you. In John, or Matthew chapter 11, verse 11, Jesus says this, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Imagine that was your tagline. This is what Jesus says about the John the Baptist. He says, of all the people born of women, no one is greater than John the Baptist. But notice what happens if you get servanthood. Notice how Jesus finishes the sentence. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. In other words, if you will serve Jesus and you'll just be humble about it, God says you're even better than John the Baptist. I don't know about you, but I think that's pretty cool. And I don't think we think about these things large enough. And so our passage, 1 Timothy 3, has this incredible list of character qualities. So we can emphatically say, number one, who should be deacons? Deacons should be Christians who are known to be Holy Spirit-filled and Word of God-driven. That's number one, all right? Who should be deacons in a church? They should be Christians who are known to be Holy Spirit-filled and Word of God-driven. If you believe that Acts chapter 6, 1 to 7 gives us the background and the context of deacons, and notice what it says in that passage. It says, pick you out seven men full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Now, why would waiters need to have these two things? Because they were going to serve tables. Well, think about it. Think about your favorite restaurant. Think about the place where if someone says to you, where would you go and recommend me to go to eat? Think about that place where you've gotten the best service you've ever gotten at a restaurant. Usually it's because not just how good the food is, but how well you were served. Have you ever had that waiter or that waitress that just seems to know how to do it? They know the balance between being there too much, but not being there enough. You know what I'm talking about? All right, are some of you in a coma? Like some, do this if you know what I'm talking about, all right? I just want to make sure. You know, I feel like doing that every now and then, all right? You know, they, they just, they know how to understand your mood. They're good readers of, of body language and the, maybe the way you came in. They, they know maybe how your day has went. They, they certainly know the menu. In fact, I, in my reading, I read one commentator who said, he off, at least once or twice a year, he'll go to a restaurant and the waiter or waitress comes up to him and asks his order and he gives them the menu and says, you order for me. And he says, only once has he had that happen where said waiter did not know the menu. But he's amazed at how many times the waiter or the waitress picks out an incredible meal. Have you ever noticed that? They know all these things. They know the restaurant's amenities. They know the features. They're knowledgeable. They're pleasant. They genuinely want to make your time there wonderful and enriching. So in other words, a, a deacon is someone Holy Spirit filled and Word of God driven. Like Ray Ortland Jr. put it like this. The fullness of the Holy Spirit includes clear, incisive, logical thinking. Now, I want you to absorb that because so often we think of being Holy Spirit-filled as if it's something very, very magical and wonderful, almost like, you know, um, uh, leprechauns or something like that. Like we, we make it very magical. They're wonderfully delicious or something like that. But no, no, no. Ray Orland says to be Holy Spirit-filled is to actually have a clear mind, to be incisive, to think logically because you understand the Word of God. And so in a church, Calvary, as we grow, as we look to where we're headed, we, we can't neglect the widows or the needy or the weak of this church or this town. We can't neglect our missionaries or our local outreach communities. That's why I love what Heather's doing with the Kirby House. We can't neglect our worship and the quality of our services and our facilities. 
We can't neglect our young people and our college kids and our young families. We can't neglect our personal spiritual growth as members of Christ's body. And so when you add all up, that means there's a lot of service to be done. The Lord's church has a lot to do. And it's more than just the work of the preacher or the elder. It's everybody's responsibility. So who should deacons be? They need to be Christians who are known to be Holy Spirit filled and Word of God driven. Secondly, Christians whose lives have been touched by the gospel. And that's our passage. Paul Paul starts out and says, likewise. Now I said that there because in the Greek, what that word means is another, uh, the same of a different kind. Another of a different kind. They're connected, but they're different. So we talked about elders, right? The servant leaders of the church. And now he's talking about deacons, the leading servants of the church. But they're also connected. And Paul is leaking this section with the previous one. So elders represent the church through governance and teaching. And deacons represent the truth through leading service ministries. And since these two groups are both connected, they're going to share different, similar, sorry, Christian maturity and growth characteristics. So Paul says five things about deacons and their character. They got to be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain, and they must hold the faith with a clear conscience. I love this. Philip Ryken expresses it like this. He says, that's not the way the world usually chooses its leaders. The virtues listed here have little to do with your talents or your abilities. They're not the kind of credentials that you usually put on a resume. I'm dignified. I'm not double-tongued. I'm not given to much wine. You know, I'm not greedy of filthy lucre. They use the old King James, right? I don't know about you. When I was growing up, when I was their age, I was like, what the heck is filthy lucre? Is the buddy throwing up or what? All right? He's got a stolid grasp on the Bible. And I want you to realize, once again, God is more concerned with who deacons are on the inside than what they do on the outside. So a deacon is dignified. That word actually means... A deacon is not silly or a flippant person. It's not someone who makes light of a serious matter. Now, it doesn't mean that a deacon is a cold, joyless person. You know, you don't have a big dark robe on with the hands folded and just go mmm all the time. It just means that, you know what, when you're around certain situations, you don't make light of it. You know what, I've grown up in enough church, I know when I'm around silly people. When you get a phone call and someone is, you're, you're told someone's lost a job or someone's hurt and then someone says something really, really, and I'm going to say this, stupid. They just don't have a sense of the situation. That's not a deacon. A deacon's dignified. A deacon understands the situation. Now, a deacon is not double-tongued. And let me give you a little commercial here. If you, how many of you have heard of the book Pilgrim's Progress? Put your hand up. So many of you had. All right, put them way down. Now, really do this. How many of you have read the book, Pilgrim's Progress? All right, so not even half of you. I cannot recommend you reading that book enough. You should read this book. And in this, basically, John Bunyan takes the Christian life and he puts it into a story. And he's got little names for everybody. And in Pilgrim's Progress, this not double-tongued, he's got this guy and his name is Mr. Two-Tongues. Mr. Two-Tongues. See, deacons must not engage in double talk. What that means is the word of a deacon ought to be one of the strongest guarantees in the church. People, both inside and outside the church, must be able to take a deacon at his word. 
not saying one thing to someone and saying something else to somebody else. But Jesus, I think, nails double-tongueness in Matthew 21, 28 to 30. And he gives this parable about this father with two sons. And he says he wants him to go work the vineyard. So he goes to the one son and he says, you go work in the vineyard. And that kid says, all right, Dad, I got you, man. I'm out in the vineyard. And then he goes to bed. The second son, he goes and he says, you work in the vineyard. And that's it. Why have I got to go work in the vineyard? Man, it's it's a beautiful day. I don't want to do it. And dad says, because I asked you to go work in the vineyard. And basically the boy says, I don't want to, but I'll go. And then Jesus says, who really obeyed his father? The guy who always like, oh, yeah, dad, sure. And then doesn't obey. Or the guy who picked up, kicked up a little bit of a stink, but immediately goes and obeys dad. You see, that's what it means. In other words, a deacon is someone who doesn't say one thing and do the other. And can we, do we have those? Now, not addicted to much wine. I think that one's pretty self-explanatory. I'm going to say for the record again, I know it's controversial, but the Bible nowhere forbids drinking alcohol. But it does forbid drunkenness of any kind. And further, if you're a Christian and, the need, and you have this need or you insist on your right to drink it, you're probably not deacon material. Because if you have the right to drink it, then it's actually more important to you than you're willing to admit. You see, I've told you this story. When Debbie and I took on our first ministry, we actually had this old workers' covenant. And as a pastor, I wasn't allowed to go to movies. And I know, look, and, and again, I got to be careful here because these things are recorded and they get put on the internet. So I got to be very careful with what I say. Let's just say I have no problems going to movies, all right? In fact, I'm looking for a time when my wife and I can go out a date night and we're going to a movie, all right? So you can, if I've lowered your opinion of me or whatever, God bless you, I love you. That's, that's how it's going to be. But often our kids would come to us, and it was okay in our church that we could send the kids to the movies, but Debbie and I couldn't go. I, I'm, again, I'm not commentating on the, the sense of it. I'm just saying it was the reality, okay? And kid, our kids would come to us all the time and say, Dad, why do you do that? And you know what? I could have easily said, well, because people are dum-dums. And I, you know what? I would have fed a very negative attitude to my kids. But here's what Debbie and I would say. You know what? Listen, there's no problem with going to movies, and you guys go and have a great time. But you know what? Because mom and dad love the people of this church, and because some people would be really hurt if we did it, and it would really hinder dad's ability to pastor them, we choose not to go. And when the time is right and dad comes alongside this church and we preach and teach on it enough and we show people a better way, God will give us our freedom. And when God gives it to us, then we'll enjoy it. Until then, I'm free to go and I'm also free not to go. So I just want to make sure you understand that a deacon is someone who's not looking out for their rights. They're looking out for the rights of others. Finally, a deacon is not greedy for dishonest gain. So a deacon, duh, doesn't love money. And funny thing is, Paul's going to talk about money several times in 1 Timothy. In fact, the weirdest thing is he actually ends the letter with it. It's not like, yours truly, Paul. It's yours truly. Oh, tell the rich to be good, good people in this world. That's how he ends the letter. It's like he's like, yeah, yeah, get them rich people. <laughs> All right? He's going to talk about it quite a bit. A deacon must not use his office as a means to make money. That was an important quality because maybe some people were still thinking about Judas. Because if you read the New Testament, it says that Judas, when he was critical of Jesus spending lavishly, it's because he was the keeper of the person. He was actually spending the money for himself. So he had the pretense of caring, but he was really a thief. And I get scared sometimes how much that happens in the church. And so you need to realize deacons are going to be involved with distributing money. They're going to be involved in people's lives and needs. And the temptation can always be to steal from those funds, as Judas did. 
Now, why these things? Why dignified and not double-tongued and not addicted to wine and not greedy for dis... Well, think about it. If you're going to be a deacon, you're going to be involved in the intimate parts of people's lives. They're going to tell you that they have needs and maybe they've got to tell you that and they're embarrassed or even ashamed. And deacons are likely going to be on the front line of things. So Paul says they must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Now, what does that mean? In a nutshell, it means a gospel-driven life. Literally, it's take, not talking about the mystery of the faith. Paul's not talking about the mystery of it like it's a theological whodunit. We know who did it. It was Jesus Christ. The gospel is the fact that Jesus came into the world to rescue sinners. And that's what we're going to celebrate next week. So the hope of the gospel is that Jesus can transform the very worst of us into gloriously rescued people. And deacons are to have a good grasp of this. And they hold it with a clear conscience, which means appropriate living. In other words, they're to show others what it means to be a gospel-centered servant. Deacons have a powerful ability to show the people of the world how the gospel actually works. They're able to lead service opportunities that make the gospel very, very obvious and very, very practical, and they send a very, very loud message. Now, in five minutes, let me deal with the controversy of verse 11. All right? Two groups of people in the church. I love them all, and I believe they're all Christians and saved. They interpret this verse in two ways, sometimes because of the language. Verse 11 their wives likewise. In the Greek, in the Bible, the word there is not there, and the word wives is actually the Greek word gynekos, where we get our English word gynecology. It actually means women, okay? And so in some, in some translations of the English Bible, you'll come to verse 11, and it says women likewise. It doesn't say their wives likewise. And there's good arguments to do their wives or women. For some, it's the structure Because they think that word likewise is there, they believe that Paul is actually saying, here's the role of elders, here's the role of male deacons, here's the role of female deacons. All right? Some people think that. Some people think because the office itself is meant to be that of service, not authority. And then some people lean on what they call the Phoebe factor. All right? Which is, all this sounds like an X Factor um, episode to me right now. It's from Romans chapter 16, where Paul says, I commend to you our servant Phoebe, but the Greek word there for servant is the noun form of deacon. And so some people think that's a a place where Paul is pointing out to women deacons. All right? Now, with all of those variables, at the end of the day, listen, we've got to maintain Christian dignity and love. Our church, Calvary Baptist Church, we're at a very, even though we've been around for 20 years, we're really just exploding in growth and we've been developing our new ideas of eldership and all that thing and we're young as a church in our development of elders and deacons. And while we firmly stand on God's word as it relates to elders and we also firmly but gently have a position on deacons, that in our church deacons are men. We understand that this practice is in no way meant to limit or hinder or discourage the daughters of God in this church to serve God and each other wholeheartedly. Why? Because ultimately none of us should be looking for titles or power or prestige. Amen? That's right. But all of us should be looking to be like Christ and love and serve God and each other daily. Amen? (laughs) There you go. So having put all that behind us, see that? I did that in less than two minutes, all right? (laughs) Let me get to the third thing that a deacon is, which is this. Christians who have shown God's love because they've experienced God's love. Because that's what it says. He says in verse 10, let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons 
if they prove themselves blameless. But notice verse 13, for those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So in other words, Paul says, listen, with being a servant, there's great value. There's great reward in serving the body of Christ with humility and not with ulterior motives. You see, Paul said it in Acts chapter 20, at the end of his discussion with the Ephesian elders, he says this, see if you can finish this as I said it. He says, and we know how Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to, oh, look, these guys even know. Huh. You believe that? You can all quote it. You probably got a coffee mug somewhere with it on it, or you got a plaque hung up in your house. But do you live life like that? That it's more blessed to give than to receive? So have you served enough for the right reasons? For Jesus and not yourself? For God's glory and not yours? Have you served for the sheer joy of serving, not for the hoped-for joy of being recognized? See, Jesus made it clear in Matthew chapter 20, verse 25 to 28, he said this, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. Those who are unselfish servants of the church are usually the last to be served, to be appreciated or to be honored, and they don't care. One of my favorite stories, I come from this city and I used to, I grew up at a church up here called First Baptist Church and there's not an inch of that building up there. My hands didn't help build. And I was a teenager. I was like 17, 18 when we were doing it. And there was this guy up there, a strange duck. He was, a, you know, had a varied opinion. And, and not only did he have an opinion, he had an opinion for everybody around him too. So if you didn't have one, he'd give you one, all right? But he had heart issues. And so when we were doing a lot of work, he wasn't allowed to be up there and doing anything because he had a very weak heart. And, and um, one day I, had, I got stuck. My parents were working or something. I got stuck and left at the site and everybody else was gone, and I was there by myself, and I was just fiddling around in the building and checking stuff out and everything, and all of a sudden, I heard somebody pull up, and I thought it was my mom and dad. It wasn't, and th this person came in whistling, and they had a broom and a, and a garbage bag and a dustpan, and, and all of a sudden, this guy, and he didn't know I saw him. He just starts sweeping up and picking up little pieces of wood and putting them in a garbage can and cleaning up the site, and I was fascinated by this because this guy was pretty, like, you know, he, he wanted to be heard in business meetings and all these types of things, and so I let him know that I was there, and I went to him, and I said, like, you're, you're here, just like, you're just like, like the janitor. Like, what are you doing here? And he looked at me, and he said, Steve, you know what? I, I can't do all the stuff you guys can do, but I can come up at the end of the day, and I can sweep up some sawdust, and I can pick up some pieces of wood, and I can make sure that the site is clean for the guys who can do all the work tomorrow. And I have never forgotten him saying that to me, ever. And he said this to me. He said, Steve, listen. As you get older, he said, find the good in every person that you do life with and leave the bad up to God. And I will tell you, that's a nice way to live life. And so as a deacon, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. So in conclusion, <laughs> and I'm finally at the end of this, you have no idea how good I feel about it. <laughs> If you've learned anything through 1 Timothy chapter 3, you should know this, that character means everything to God. In fact, going further, you need to be a child of God. So my question for you as I clue up is, are you born again? And what I mean by that is, is Jesus your Savior? Is He your Lord, your Redeemer? Is He your example? Hey, everybody here that says they're a Christian, will you serve Jesus the way He has served us? 
If you're gifted in areas, if you're an organizer, you're, you're good at influencing people, if you're good at sensing needs, or you have a perceptive spirit, if you're a great administrator, would you serve God here in these areas? I don't care how new you are or where you're from or what your story is. If you're a believer and you're here, serve God. Like, let's do this thing together. Let's live life and do this church thing together. Tim Keller said this, the best antidote to public hostility toward the church are very visible acts of mercy and justice. Hmm. You want to show the world that they're a little off about us? Let's show them how loving and kind and gentle and patient we are with each other, not how mean-spirited we are. Hmm. I read this week that kindness, gentleness, and patience cost nothing except our pride. Let me say that again. Kindness, gentleness, and patience cost nothing except our pride. Now, I do want to get really personal, and then I'm done. All right? If you're here and you're new to our church and you want to be a part of it, but you want to come to church, and you want to come and you want, no matter what your story is, I don't care how scarred you are, how messed up, but you want to come and you want to take Christ seriously, I want you to know it's safe and we want you here and we will walk the road with you. I love the dirt of life because Jesus is better than anything. But if you're here and you're just looking for a comfortable pew or a chair, if you're here only looking in to clock in, check your checklist. I did a little bit of Jesus this week. I need you to know up front, it is my mission in life to make you uncomfortable. Because I want you to see how much Christ is better. See, Jesus didn't pay for our lives in blood so that you and I could live lives of ease. Jesus died on the cross so you and I can see how to carry ours. He's the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus called to you and me as heaven's call to self-denial and self-sacrifice where we let go of the temporal, unimportant things and we enjoy the glories of eternal life. Look up to Jesus. Listen to Him. Learn from Him. Live like Him. Love like He loves. Serve like He served. Follow the greatest servant who ever has or ever will walk this earth. For goodness sake, just follow Jesus. Don't follow me. Don't follow a denomination. Don't follow people. Follow Jesus. And Jesus is calling you. He's calling you to deny yourself and stop trusting yourself. Stop trying to make excuses. Stop trying to, to turn over a new leaf or to shape up or conform. Stop trying to convince everybody you're okay. Stop being deceived as you've, if you've got this and you can handle it. You can't. Jesus is better. What you're looking for is to turn to and trust in Jesus as your and my example. He's our Savior. He's our Redeemer. He's our King. He's your servant. Imagine Jesus that way. And so, as I said last week, I'm going to say it again. To everyone here who's a Christian, will you be godly? Will you be godly? Be a man or woman of character. It's just like the Nike ad, right? Just be godly. Just do it. Will you be involved? Will you be involved? Be a servant to God and God's people. Yes, it's great that I love the church, but do we love the church? And if you're not involved, I'm telling you, you're missing out. You'll never know the joy of what it means to simply come and pour into someone else's life. And yes, it's messy. Yes, you're likely going to have some things go wrong. But listen, this calling to save Jesus is the real deal. 
Roll up your sleeves. It gets messy and painful. You're going to shed some tears. You're not going to know how it all turns out. But it's worth it. Because Jesus is worth it. Be open. Have an Isaiah heart. Isaiah 6, when Jesus puts the call out, he says, Here am I, send me. It might mean you got to get out of your comfort zone. you got to try something risky. Maybe it means you got to take care of kids or wipe a dirty nose. Listen, I, get, I got a strong gag reflex, all right? The sight of a child with a runny nose makes me want to run, all right? But I'll tell you God's sense of humor. We sucked out our septic system this week. I stayed away. I let Paul be the man. And finally, they had it all done. So I thought it was safe to go out. I go out because I'm nosy and there's big pieces of equipment. So that makes, that's the man part of me, right? So I wanted to go out. And just as I go out and stick my face in, that little imp shouts a peat of water down there and something brown hit me in the face. (laughs) And I recoiled. I wiped Perel over my face. It's probably why I got a rash, all right? Get out of your comfort zone. Be open to whatever God calls you to. Be faithful. Now listen, don't think of ministry like a prison sentence. All right? Serving God should not be like the mob. Once you're in, you can't get back out. All right? But you know what? For those of you that are older, the words, I'm going to step back now, should not be a part of your vocabulary. Because the young people need to know that you love. And you may pray. You might not be able to do everything physical and stuff like that. But don't quit. Don't step back. Step up. Step out and step large. And be faithful and watchful in prayer. Are we going to be known as a church who prays? Because the gospel and people in need are that important. And that's why we're going to close with it as well. Let's close in prayer and then our team's going to lead us in that and we'll go our way. Father God, I thank you for the opportunity to study your word. It's sharp. It's powerful. Lord, sometimes your word is controversial. I pray, Father, that we will with humility cling to what is obvious and be gracious. Lord, we do church a certain way here at Calvary. We do so without apology, but I also pray that we do so with humility and patience and perseverance and persistence. We're not know-it-alls. We shouldn't be. We don't have it all put together. We don't have exclusivity on rightness. Only your word and you do. We're simply sinners saved by grace who want to pursue you, Savior. Lord, if there's a man or a woman here and they don't know you for sure, they know about you, they've been coming, they've heard these words, these expressions, and they're drawn to you and they're trying to know for sure that they have a relationship with you, oh, Father God, give them courage and safety to feel welcome to ask about it. If there's a man or a woman here who's hurting, maybe they've been done wrong by the church, taken advantage of. Father God, I pray that you'd free them to just serving you and knowing that everything we do for you lasts for eternity. No one can take that from us. And I pray, Father, that this church will be able to see who the deacons are, who the servants, the waiters are. And Father, guide us, O our great Jehovah, We pray these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said.